0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Trashy Divorces. I'm Alicia.
1: My name is Stacy. We hope you've had a lovely Christmas and holiday season in general. So, so much. It's a ho, ho, ho and a bottle of rum today. It is. Stacy, we've
0: got two fantastically trashy family kind of episodes. Yes. To bring y'all on what? The end of season, season 12. 12.
1: For us on Trashy Divorces. Mm -hmm. So exciting. Yep. End of year three of Trashy Divorces. It is our great privilege to do this every week. We are so lucky. Thank you. Trash Pandas. What are y'all going to hear today in the first half, Stacey? We've got the origin story of the Marvel Cinematic Universe's Napoleon Bonaparte. (laughs) (laughs) The Trashy Divorces Cinematic Universes. We pulled an episode out of Trashy
0: Bonaparte's a few weeks ago, this is the origin story to it, to mm. counter in our trashy family. What you, what you got? Battle today. I got some trashy Plantagenets. <laughs> we Deep cut. <laughs> I call this episode, Oh Brother. Mm-hmm. It's about Richard the Lionheart, who was not lionhearted at all. Mm-hmm. And his terrible brother, King John. There's only been one King John about their wives who either got treated trashily or were trashy everybody's trashy in the story in the reign of this plantagenet period it is from our patreon series called grab your hankies sure about the king king's henry of england that's exactly it which is going to be coming back in the new year so two fun you think your family is bad episodes today we will make you feel better we will make you feel about better. your family
1: situation
0: Trashy Family Values, Mm -hmm. right here on Trashy Divorces. We're going to pull out our festive magic mirror and give some shout-outs
1: and thanks and praise to our newest supporters. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Karen T., Lisa L., Kate F., and Brooke W. Holy cats, Tabitha L. Thank you
0: for becoming our newest super supporter as well. We have a few trashy shout-outs to give to Kat and Sarah and Casey. Thank you for your Christmas cards and Christmas prezzies and greetings. Y'all are the best. Mm-hmm. And we've got presents for everybody, too. Everybody's in the magic mirror this week. All of our trash pandas, we've got presents for you. For everybody on our free bit.ly link, which is... Bit.ly slash trash candy. Just plug it into your browser. I've got f- the first grab your hankies is up there, along with the British Peerage Explained episode. For all patrons on Patreon, we are dropping the whole Trashy Bonaparte series to everyone. We had so much fun with that. I think everyone will
1: enjoy that. Mm -hmm. So enjoy your bonus listening if you have some spare time between now and whenever. Yeah. Happy bonus episodes and
0: holiday listening. We're going to be taking a break next week. Indeed. Into season 12.
1: We're coming back January 5th. For Trashy Breakups. With Trashy Breakups to kick off our 13th season, our fourth year podcasting. It's going to be a big deal, probably. Season 13. Uh Uh-huh. It's going to get spooky. Lucky 13. It's going to be so great. Y'all, please enjoy this holiday episode. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the show. We are humongous fans of you, and we will talk to you again On January 5th. That's exactly it. Happy everything, y'all. Alicia, is it time to ho, ho, ho? We better go, go, go.
0: Oh, Stacey, we're getting trashy French today. We're crossing the
1: channel. We're leaving England behind. We are. We are. We have set out in a boat. We are rowing. Whoosh. Whoosh. Final status agreement of Calais handled. (laughs) Poor Calais. <laughs> yeah, so for the next few weeks, actually, we're going to be talking about the surprisingly or not trashy family, the Bonapartes, Napoleon being the most prominent. How, I mean, we've talked a little bit about Empress Eugenie, Napoleon
0: III's wife, sure. and the Charles Frederick Worth gowns. Like, we've seen the after effects, but right. we're getting into the, the origin story.
1: The origin story, indeed. What... A family. Um, so today we're going to talk about... Are they the trashiest family you've encountered? They, I think... They may be? I think so. We will know by the end of like the next six episodes or whatever. Oh, I can't wait. Go. Today we're specifically going to talk about Napoleon and Josephine. Allons-y. Allons-y. See, that was right in French, right? Let's go. I
0: believe. Allons-y. I believe. See? Doctor Who, man. It was tenant. The doctor. It was the tenant doctor. Teaches us stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, shit. I'll get my bow tie. Let's do it.
1: Napoleon was in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, too, right? 100%. Yeah. I think he played the keyboard or something. Something. <laughs> the year was 1804, and Napoleon Bonaparte made himself France's emperor. <laughs> Uh, He leveraged his military background, a variety of political alliances, and, um, you know, his wife's connection to other powerful men in the, you know, post-revolutionary French government. So France
0: wasn't like, hey, dude, we'd really like you to be our emperor.
1: He just went in and made himself emperor? We'll talk about how this all came about. His coronation was held at Notre Dame in Paris on December 2nd, 1804. And this was a lavish demonstration of his authority, his new imperial authority. It was also a trashy spectacle, designed to establish Napoleon not only as France's leader, but as the head of a new dynasty. Oh. For a new age. Fantastic. In France and in Europe. Napoleon designed the ceremony himself a oh, of a good. micromanager.
0: That always goes well. You should ask Henry the
1: Eighth. <laughs> Borrowing from uh-uh. various traditions of uh of the histories that he loved it's just a hop skip and a jump from like this to nazi era pageantry Uh (laughs) like it's okay the main theme for the event seemed to be gold and more gold (laughs) it started with a cannonade at 8 a.m and a papal procession started an hour later the pope was on hand oh wow 4,000 spectators waited for Napoleon and Josephine's carriage to travel from the Tuileries to Notre Dame. An unmanned hot air balloon, <laughs> all the stops what? were pulled. Decorated with 3,000 lights in an imperial crown pattern was launched from the front of Notre Dame. Napoleon's coronation costume was encrusted in jewels and his purple velvet mantle was lined in ermine and embroidered in gold. Cape of course. with the fur. One guest snarked a bit that he looked something like the King of Diamonds from a pack of cards. Oh, no. <laughs> Josephine wore a white gown with a velvet mantle, like Napoleon's. As they approached Notre Dame's altar, Pope Pius Seventh blessed two imperial crowns and then began to lift one, which Napoleon immediately pulled from his hands and placed on his own head. Oh, God. And the Pope is just stand. I mean, like, what? I...
0: This this may be a little bit early in the story to ask the question, but mm-hmm. 1804. Mm-hmm. Uh, within side of the last generation, there has been a bloody revolution in France mm-hmm. to rid itself of the monarchy. Mm-hmm.
1: It's
0: a weird flex. It I can't imagine that coming out like the new king does... Great things for the people of France.
1: Well, you see, Napoleon innovated what we would now refer to, I think, as competitive autocracy. (laughs) Okay, we'll talk about it. (laughs) Okay. So, yeah, Napoleon just, like, grabs his crown out of the Pope's hands, puts it on his own head, and then crowns his wife. So, you know, they had a really nice time of it. Um, An observer wrote that both appeared to enjoy one of those fleeting moments of shared felicity which are unique in a lifetime as I think he set the crown on her head and then lifted it off again and he just, he played, he made a show of it. The moment was commemorated in a painting by Jacques-Louis David, which depicts Emperor Napoleon surrounded by supporters and his family. Sure. As he crowns Josephine, uh, Letizia Bonaparte watches her son from a balcony while his brothers, Louis and Joseph, observe approvingly. Napoleon's sisters look up adoringly, holding Josephine's mantle. This was all... (laughs) Manufactured. Totally propaganda. Napoleon's family was very much at odds. They were fighting amongst themselves over, I want this title, and I don't want to marry that person, and I, like, whatever. How quickly the trappings of monarchy befall you. What they did agree on, though, was that Josephine sucks. And Mm. mm -hmm. so, unhappy. So Joseph and Napoleon were currently arguing. Um, Joseph and their mother refused to attend the coronation. Letizia also said she would not come to the ceremony to watch Napoleon put a crown on la Putana.
0: The, I know what that means. The
1: horror. Uh-huh. Napoleon's sisters reluctantly carried Josephine's train, having been bribed with royal titles. Oh, God! One attendee remarked, nothing was more comical than the way in which they performed their duty. One sister sulked, another held smelling salts under her nose. And the third let the mantle drop as Josephine climbed the stairs. Jesus Christ. This sounds like mean girls. This is, I mean, it's terrible. It's like, it's a bad in-law situation for Josephine. That is for sure. Napoleon's coronation was the ultimate achievement that the couple would experience. And it was the beginning of the end of their marriage. They'd been married for eight years at this point. They had no children. And Napoleon's family was like... If you're an emperor, you got to have an heir, yo. Like, yeah. ditch her. If she's So the Bonaparte family, the origin story of Napoleon, were kind of a backwater minor nobility, but they, they had ambition. Their ancestors were Tuscan. They had immigrated to the island of Corsica in the 16th century. Corsica, if you imagine the coastlines of France and Italy is like an inverted V. Uh-huh. Corsica sort of sits in the middle of them.
0: yeah. A little tiny island in the Mediterranean. mm, It looks nice. I bet
1: it's very pretty. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the maternal line of the family, minor Genoese nobility. They weren't wealthy. They were not refined, but they made the most of their opportunities. Napoleon's mother, Maria Letizia Ramolino, had been a child bride, married at 14 years old to lawyer Carlo Maria Bonaparte. Carlo was a Corsican nationalist. Oh, good. There was a shooting war happening at oh, the time, God. like for Corsican independence. Okay. Uh, and so Letizia would go with Carlo on campaigns. Isabella did that with Ferdinand. Mm-hmm. Like, they, she, I mean, was just as fierce in battle. Like, why, let's go on campaign. Why stay home? They had a son, Joseph. Then, when she was pregnant with Napoleon, she and Carlo were forced to, um, set up house in a cave for a while because the... He's like Zeus. The fighting was too intense. Sure. Mm-hmm. Eventually, they returned to their home in uh, uh, Ajaccio, Ajaccio. Sure. I don't know. Where Letizia would give birth to Napoleon. Carlo went on to lead negotiations to separate Corsica from... Like, there was no Italian state, so it was a bunch of principalities. So the Republic of Genoa, uh, only to see the French come in and take over in 1769. Carlo and Letizia would have eight children who survived to adulthood wow which is yeah super impressive Mm -hmm. good air clean living island living but it does make for some tricky dynamics down the road when one of them becomes the emperor of france yeah when my kid crowns himself emperor of france how are all the other
0: kids gonna feel
1: yeah right no nobody (laughs) so napoleon was born in 1769 on Corsica. Oh, the same year that Corsica is taken over by the French. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which is how, yeah. Interesting. Okay. It turns out Napoleon really enjoyed meddling in the lives of his family members as much as they enjoyed meddling in his. Really, lots of good stuff going on. So they're all going to get titles. They're all going to have arranged marriages, or maybe not all of them anyway. Lots going on in the Bonaparte family. Okay. He was always, you know, once he was powerful he was always trying to like coerce his family members into whatever for the good of France was always the, uh, Oh sure. You know, you will be in this unhappy marriage because I for say it is for the good of France. France. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, and if they push that, that would work with Enman <laughs> <laughs> for the good of the podcast. For the lo- for the good of France, bury your poop. Oh, my God. Sorry, go ahead. Embarrassing stuff. If they pushed back, if they tried to refuse what Napoleon wanted them to do, he would threaten to, like, remove them from the line of succession and take away their titles and cut them off financially and, like, Bonaparte or Bonaparte. <laughs> Yikes. All right, so the Bonapartes decided that Napoleon would have a career in the military. Sent him off to school to become an officer. Okay. He wanted to join the Navy, but Letizia, I don't know, island person, but did not want him um, drowning. So his career began in 1785. He was commissioned as a second lieutenant in La Frere Artillery Regiment. He remained involved in the Corsican Nationalist Movement, however, fighting for the cause until 1793. This puts him into his like early mid-20s. Okay. 23, 24 political intrigue you'll be surprised to learn that in the midst of this Corsica is getting less and less stable so the the entire Bonaparte clan leaves the island and heads into France proper okay I am imagining battered pickup trucks
0: Beverly Hillbillies yes (laughs) coming
1: from Corsica yep what was happening in France at the time. Yeah, this goes like from bad to worse. Yeah, Napoleon becomes involved in the French Revolution. He's uh, publishing pro-Republican pamphlets. He befriends Maximilian Robespierre. Oh, Robespierre. Bonaparte was made an artillery commander of the Republican forces fighting the Royalists. And really like quickly, I mean, again, this is a young guy. He's mid-20s young scrappy and hungry quickly establishes himself as a gifted military leader in 1795 paul de Barras gave napoleon command of armed forces to suppress a royalist rebellion in paris proper and you know this went really well so soon he's promoted again mid-20s promoted to commander of the interior of France and head of the army of Italy. Wow. Which I'm sure was busy trying to occupy various Italian provinces. So Paul de Barris was a leader of this new French government. And uh, he did his buddy a solid and introduced him to his former mistress. Oh, that's nice. (laughs) I'm done with her. Rose de Beauharnais. This is Josephine. A little bit older than Napoleon, born 1763. She was elegant. She was charming. And, you know, he's this young guy from the backwater, basically like an Italian minor noble like marching through France. He was quite happy for the introduction. She liked his ambition and that he really seemed to be going places. Like, he he could back his ambition with actual accomplishments. right. He didn't mind that she already had two kids from her previous marriage. He thought she was quite rich, and was likely disappointed to find out that in fact his friend Paul de Barras had been paying all of her household staff. Oh, yeah. So um, Napoleon didn't care for the name Rose, so he just renamed her. He just he it's from her middle name, but yes, he just renamed her. Okay. Uh-huh. She has a very long name, in fact, we'll get to it. So they married they fell in love. They married in a civil ceremony, March ninth, seventeen ninety six. You'll be surprised to learn that Napoleon's family was not happy. He has you just mean, from the beginning. He has married a widow, a divorcee, who is six years older, has two children already, and so La Putana was not warmly welcomed into the Bonaparte household. Oh no. So his sisters, Napoleon's sisters, were intimidated by Josephine's sophisticated city ways, so they gossiped about her constantly. I mean, just, just a viper's nest over here. The brothers would go on and kind of keep tabs, trying to catch her in adultery. Oh, No. And, you know, unfortunately, years go by and Napoleon and Josephine do not have any children, which leads to increasing family pressure to ditch her and uh, marry someone younger and perhaps more fertile. There's a lot going on for Napoleon. A lot going on. Josephine was born, forgive me, French speakers, Marie-Joseph Rose Tacher de la Pagerie in Martinique. It's quite a mouthful. Uh, Caribbean island. It was French territory at yeah. the time. Her parents owned a sugarcane plantation there. And so she lived there for a while, but a hurricane hit it in 1766. So Josephine's father, after the hurricane hits, decides that the way to really help the uh, family fortunes is to marry his daughters off to rich Frenchmen. Makes sense. So fortunately, Josephine's aunt herself had a, a lover of a marquis. And the lover had a son, oh, who is currently wife hunting. I got a great idea. So they ship Josephine's sister off to marry him. Okay, but she dies. Oh shit! But hey, that's okay. We they have a, a spare. spare. Yeah. So yeah. So Josephine is paired with Alexander de Beauharnais, son of a marquis, well off. Obviously, this is a good match from her and her family's perspective. Unfortunately, Dude Bro is super snobby. Oh, no. Just thinks his new wife is this, like, provincial rube. It doesn't sound like it was a super happy union. They did have two kids, uh, Eugene and Hortense. So she's still going by Rose at this point because she has not met Napoleon yet. She worked her ass off to become a proper French noblewoman. right? And her husband was just a dick all the time, and he was... Affairs are obviously fairly common, but he was super public about his brothel visits oh, and no. he had long-term mistresses. And then one day he's, he accused Rose of uh, infidelity <laughs> and ab- abandoned her. Oh, God. They legally separated. Rose negotiated support for the children and ended up having to borrow money from people, which is how she ended up being kind of in debt and her future lover caring for her household. Uh, During the Reign of Terror, uh, Alexander did get his. He was arrested and tried for treason. His head went into a basket. Rose, Josephine, was considered guilty by association and was arrested, but she was released and not, obviously. Guillotined. Guillotined. (sighs) So, you know, she comes out of prison and meets up with her friends from the vaguely noble universe and, like, life goes on. She becomes the lover of Paul de Barris, who is important in the new government, and a friend of Napoleon's, and this is how they all meet. The marriage started off in a fairly difficult fashion. Uh, Napoleon had to leave Paris to take command of the army of Italy. He would send daily letters to Josephine, amorous, sweet, wonderful. She was quite busy with her Paris social life, not a great correspondent. She also met another soldier. Oh, no. Captain Charles Hippolyte. They were quite taken with each other, and Napoleon's far away. Yeah, he's off in Egypt, learns about the affair, and is he's outraged. So... Big man. Divorce is on the horizon. Oh, God. His family's thrilled. Like, <clears throat> yeah! Go, Josephine and Charles Hippolyte. We're big on this pairing. Oh, no. So, you know, Napoleon, obviously consoled himself with a variety of lovers while he was away. Perfect. When he returns to Paris, ready to confront Josephine, she's sorry. She apologizes. She's really contrite. I just missed you so much. Totally. Nappy. (laughs) That's probably what she called him. You know, they they fought and then they had some makeup time. And the next day, Napoleon's brother comes by and he has been collecting... All sorts of reports of Josephine's misbehavior while Napoleon has been absent and uh he finds the bedroom door locked
0: <sighs> Nappy bones that, getting some nappy, is, bones. Is, nappy
1: bones there that it nappy bones that nappy bones I Just like it did it
0: you've had plenty of time to uh-huh, manifest uh-huh. your yeah. charm onto my tutors Sure.
1: nappy bones Nappy bones Napoleon Bonaparte nappy bones anyway nappy bones. And Josephine were, they were reconciling. Oh, well, that's nice. Perhaps loudly. I I don't know. know. (laughs) So his political rise continued after his return to Paris. Like he had a kind of spotty military record at this point. Like the campaign in Egypt had gone very poorly, but the French government was a fucking train wreck at the time. hundred percent. Yeah. They were bankrupt. Uh Um, Everyone was unpopular except Napoleon, who was, I think, a dashing young Military commander. He was very popular, kind of the only one. So he allies himself with Charles Talleyrand, Joseph Fouché, and his brother Lucien, um, his Lucien Bonaparte, Lucy Bones. <laughs> Lucy Bones, there we go. To take power. Again, Josephine had all of these connections with these powerful men. So they just organize a coup d'etat in 1799 and take control.
0: Fantastic.
1: Napoleon was named Napoleon called himself the first consul. No Roman uh-huh. heirs there.
0: Wow, that's just will strike the fear mm. of Nero into you.
1: Gave himself a term of 10 years. His new government drafted a constitution. They declared the new republic with Napoleon as its dictator. But competitive autocracy, he would hold elections periodically to to gauge <laughs> uh-huh. the okay. opinions of the public. Sure. How'd um, that go? Well, his brother Lucien, Lucy Bones, uh-huh. um, he. So there were about five million eligible voters in France at the time, and it is thought that there were about a million and a half legit votes in okay. in this plebiscite on the new constitution, government, dictator. Lucy Bones goes in and makes up another one and a half million, like he doubles the volume of oh, ballots, wow. basically ballot stuffing on a grand Fantastic. scale. So uh, weirdly, the people of France agreed ninety nine point nine four percent in favor of whatever it is Napoleon was pushing on the ballot that that year. Big win, big big win, huge win. Election integrity. So Napoleon and Josephine riding high, high on the hog. They pick up a house at Chateau Malmaison, about seven miles outside of Paris. Josephine love this place and just starts restoring. She's planting gardens, particularly with plants from Martinique. She wanted the, the feel of home. The feel, I get yeah. it. People were also, obviously, when they came to meet Napoleon, bringing gifts like live animals. And so soon she had sort of a menagerie going. She was a patron of the arts. She worked with uh, Jacques-Louis David, Francois Gerard. There were some fights about her spending, but in general, these two were actually quite happy together, it seems like. The lack of air will become an issue. Josephine was said to never cheat again. Napoleon was said to never be faithful. Wow. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I think at this point, she's quite happy. Also, Napoleon is frequently away on military campaigns across Europe, of course. By 1804, he had consolidated his power, declared himself emperor. And they moved into apartments in the Tuileries, which I... This is a castle that the royals had lived in prior. Yes, So Josephine was, like, kind of blown away. Um, Napoleon carried her over the threshold of the bedroom the first night there because she, she felt like she could hear the ghost of old queens asking her why she was sleeping in... Josie. It was very weird for Josephine. As emperor, the pressure to produce an heir... Became... Increases, yeah. ...immense. And Napoleon's family, ever helpful... Oh, no. the... <laughs> ...they blamed Josephine. 100%. Well, could, yeah. Could not be Napoleon's fault. Napoleon's sister, helpfully, Caroline, introduced him to an 18-year-old oh. named Eleanor Deney de la Plaine. Maybe that's how that's pronounced. Okay. Helpfully, Eleanor was Carolyn's secretary and the mistress of Carolyn's husband, (gasps) who uh, at that time was in prison for forgery. Oh, God. So So Napoleon, was was, he thought Eleanor was terrific. New Um, cute young mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm 18-year-old. Nappy Bones looking for you. Yeah, Nappy Bones was really taken with her enough that he rented her a house nearby so that he could visit her for two hours a day. Oh, wow. Eleanor, not such a big fan of Nappy (sighs) Bones. It was rumored that she would set her clocks ahead by half an hour once he arrived (laughs) while he wasn't looking. Mm -hmm. But in 1806, she gave birth to a son. Oh. She said it was Napoleon's. There were rumors it was not, but who can say? Ooh, trashy. So from his family's perspective, they have now proven definitively to Napoleon that he is not why he and Josephine don't have a baby. It's Josephine's fault. And it kind of became, like, a national issue, right? Like, once you're establishing a royal line, you can't just die. You just put the king's head in a basket (laughs) because you didn't want a royal line. (sighs) (sighs) Right. Napoleon did not want to divorce or annul, annul Josephine. No, he did not want to divorce Josephine. He did not want to annul the marriage. But... I mean, it was tricky, right? Like, Josephine knew about all these affairs, didn't seem to mind. So she was kind of helping to interview potential replacement brides. Oh, no. It mm-hmm. so quite awkward. They tried to establish alternate heirs so that they could stay together. So he ordered his brother, Louis. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry to share this. He ordered his brother, Louis, to marry Josephine's daughter, Hortense. Oh, wow. This is very the mythology thing you had yesterday. This is a lot shades of. Yeah, we thought the Greeks were trashy. Wait on it. Right. And so like Hortense is not Nappy Bones' kid. Anyway, it's just tricky. So neither of them wanted to marry each other, but they did. They did have two kids. They had an unhappy marriage. and. When Napoleon tried to name one of their children as his heir, Louis was like, "No way! My kid is not going to outrank me because all of these people are obsessed with titles." Oh my god,
0: this is exhausting.
1: So Napoleon embarks on an affair with Countess Maria Waluska, and this produces a son. And at this point, Josephine is like, "Ah, I'm. I, I really do have to step back here." So they set terms. She retained the rank of empress. Her debts were settled. She'd get 3 million francs a year. Wow. She'd keep all her jewelry. She keeps the house and the zoo and the gardens at Malmaison. And she submitted to a public annulment ceremony. Um, Yeah, the Bonaparte family was there, like, rah, 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 rah. And like, Nappy Bones and Josephine were both sad. She cried wow it was yeah napoleon said god alone knows what this resolve has cost my heart i have found the courage to go through with it only in the conviction that it will serve the best interests of of France." france i have nothing but gratitude to express for the devotion and tenderness of my beloved wife the memory of the 13 years in which she has adorned my life will be treasured by me forever
0: oh this is heartbreaking it's heartbreaking
1: yeah, I mean, she came to see him in his rooms later, and they cried, and he told her to be brave. And so it's for the good of France, yeah. Like, but they remained, you know, relatively good friends for the rest of, well, anyway. So she goes back <laughs> to Malmaison, <laughs> works on the gardens, works on the art collection. She Napoleon made sure, like all, like people would go and visit her. Like he he worked hard to make sure she was not lonely and that she wanted for nothing. Wow. There were some conflicts. The dissolution of the Holy Roman Empire was happening at this time, and so as part of peace settlements between France and Austria, Napoleon marries again (laughs) to Marie-Louise of Austria. I feel like the Austrians must be a little tired of sending their princesses to France. You have got
0: to be 100% right on that. Yeah.
1: So initially, I mean, Marie-Louise was not into this at first, But uh, apparently they kind of, I guess Napoleon was quite the charmer with the ladies. So uh, they did have a son, Napoleon Francis. And yeah, so the Bonaparte family eventually succeeded in getting rid of... Wait, so the kid he has with his mistress isn't
0: even the kid who fucking takes over that he divorces Josephine for? Mm -mm. He ends up having another kid that takes over? Yeah, but uh, you know... And you just ditched your wife?
1: Mm-hmm. Nappy bones, nappy bones—the things we do for power. Yeah, for the good
0: of fucking France.
1: Oh, this is good. Yeah, so we're going to talk more about the intrigue and meddling and whatever of the lives of the siblings. This whole family is a giant garbage fire, and it is kind of a thing of glory to behold. That and I'm excited fantastic. about it. Yeah. Oh my God, that was amazing. Big thanks to Kim S, who has been doing the heavy lift. On researching this, those
0: are some delicious tidbits. Oh, Thanks, Oh my Kim.
1: god, these are sh- <laughs> these people are unbelievably trashy. So there we wow. go, kicking off trashy Bonaparte here on the Patreon. I love it. Well done. Thanks. Hope y'all enjoyed that. Nappy bones coming back nappy next Wednesday. Bones, yeah. I-, I think we're gonna have like six weeks of nappy bones. That's so ugly. It's just <laughs> ugly. Get ready. Okay. They're think, pretty trashy. I think that's it I
0: for- I can't wait to see what's going to happen the next few weeks. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Y'all are the very best. It is a Wednesday. Go have a great rest of the week. hmm Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll be back on Sunday with more Trashy Divorces. hmm You'll be back next week with some more tales from Nappy Boo. You're not kidding. They're so it. good. So good. <laughs> Y'all, until we talk again, keep your hands clean. Keep your hearts trashy. Big love. Allons-y.
1: Oh, allons-y. Good. Yeah. That's good. Okay. To le monde. (laughs) Bye, everyone. For the good of France. Bye, y'all. Hey, Trash Pandas. When you need a brain break from your day, let me recommend the game June's Journey for Android and iPhone. It's a hidden object mystery game where you are solving a murder, uncovering family secrets, and, I don't know, exposing official corruption, all in an extremely stylish 1920s setting. It's a great combo of gameplay, it's a memory puzzle, a design project, an intriguing storyline with genuinely fabulous art. When you want to let your mind wander, relax into this glorious 1920s murder mystery and get lost in the fun. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Check them out at BetterHelp.com Trashy.
0: Stacey, both you and I have benefited from therapy in our lives. And over the last couple of years, I've appreciated my BetterHelp counselor so much.
1: Therapy can be a little like scheduled maintenance on your car, keeping everything serviced to prevent bigger issues down the road, or like the quick check you do before making a big road trip. Making sure those tires are inflated and your fluids are topped up is not that unlike strategizing with your therapist to make the most of something stressful like a job interview. Think of therapy like routine maintenance for
0: your emotional and mental wellness. It doesn't mean something's wrong. It means you're investing in yourself to keep your mind healthy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions
1: with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Why invest in everything else and not your mind? This podcast is sponsored
0: by BetterHelp, and Trashy Divorces listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash trashy.
1: That's BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P, betterhelp.com trashy.
0: Hey, Trash Panda Nation. Let's everyone just take a minute, give yourselves credit for getting to today, and now we cue Sir Elton John.
1: I'm still standing.
0: Would you like to say that you are standing better than I ever did about your personal finances? Our friends at the Oaktree Group
1: are ready and willing to help you. The mission of this all-female firm is to guide you through all phases of your financial journey using an intuitive and holistic approach. Best of all, Oaktree Group is offering our Trashy Divorces listeners a free one-hour
0: consultation with no obligation to talk about your financial concerns. Give the Oak Tree Group a call today at
1: 770-319-1700 to set up your appointment. Again, that number is 770-319-1700. And you can always visit www.theoaktreegroup.net for more information. Alicia, did you tell me to put on my fury pants for this oh, edition there's of So Much in
0: This Story, Grab Your for Hankies? You're going to love, oh, gonna love oh,
1: it. Oh, okay. Welcome to Grab Your Hankies. Mhm.
0: This week, we were going to get into Henry Three cuz yeah. the whole thing is Grab Your Hankies, but no, cuz last week you did Henry I and II. Right, but we can't get to Henry. We left a little on the table last week with King's Richard and John that I feel that we'd be remiss if we didn't. So today, Grab Your Hankies. Oh, brother. Oh, my. We're going to back up the bus just a little bit and spend a little time with these two brothers looking at the time periods-ish from 1189 to about 1216. Okay. We're just going to do a quick deeper dive. Sure. Before we get to Hank 3. Okay. Okay. So many trashy things are about to happen. Okay. From last week's episode, the stage is set. The year is 1189. Hank 2, dead. Son of Hank II, Richard, is now King Dick the One. Just Dick, right now. There's no one. Okay, okay. Dicky. Dicky. Dicky's king. Dicky's the son of Henry II, sure, but he's also the son of Eleanor of Aquitaine. And he's been brought up in this lusty troubadour culture, and it's all about romance. And I mean, this is Richard the Lionheart, right? He wants to be this, uh, jukebox hero he wants to be the storybook hero and the inspirer of all the legends and he's really the very much the creator of his own myth he's not very lion-hearted at all he's kind of a dick he's way more concerned with his own image and reputation than actually doing anything good for the country of england but
1: funny that's not how the story goes normally okay no
0: but like (sighs) <sighs> all right, Dick.
1: The brother that comes after him, John, is
0: truly the worst. So, it, you know, comparatively, Richard yeah, this looks is, like a Lionheart after King John.
1: And this is the King John of Robin Hood legend, yes? Yes. That King John. Okay. The
0: very factual Disney tale mm-hmm.
1: of Robin Hood. Right. Watch it. That's, We've I, all seen
0: it. Everything I'm saying you can find in Robin Hood sure. right now. Okay. Animated. <laughs> I love that movie. It makes me so happy. Okay. So Dick won, Richard, in charge of England. But he has no intention of actually staying in England to be the king. Because he has things to do, like go on crusade. Ah. Uh. So Richard has never had any other idea in his mind than leaving his mom, Eleanor, to run the country while he is going off on crusade. Like, Eleanor, when she was queen of France, went on crusade in her younger days, so he's just, you know, reliving Mama's footsteps. It's what you do. Dick One comes to London for his coronation, and that's about it. He's there to get the crown, but also he needs cash to support his crusade into Jerusalem to take God's country back Mm -hmm. for the good Christian people. Sure. Sure. All right. Yeah, not a cheap proposition. No, crusades are expensive. Mm -hmm. They're very expensive. Mm -hmm. And here's the irony. The guy in charge of Jerusalem at the time already lets Christians in on like a day pass. But Richard is going to crusade so he can win Jerusalem, which he does. But if you want to keep Jerusalem, you have to stay in Jerusalem. Weird that. And Dickie ain't going to do that. So... He walks out like, okay, great. I guess we keep our day passes, which is what we had. All He doesn't want to install his mom.
1: <laughs> well,
0: his mom is, is busy. She's got R- running another- Running England. She, well, yes, but she's also got another plan coming soon. Anyway, Richard needs money because crusades are expensive. Dick does not care about London. He will say that he would have sold London if he could have found a buyer for it. He spends a total in his 10-year reign- He spends six months within the confines of England. Okay. Okay. Those Frenchmen, man. No, he's a French king, right? Mm -hmm. And so I want you to know that England at this point is still run by France. We have French nobles. Now, Henry II has encouraged intermarrying his French nobles with English women. So English identity is beginning to take shape now. But it's not going to be fully cemented until the end of the story. But kind of put that as a post-it note in the back of your trashy brain. Okay. Dick is not in England. Dick is on Crusades. And, oh my God, wasted time, wasted money, whatever. On the way home from the Crusades, right? Dick is captured. He's captured dressed as a kitchen maid in Vienna. He's held for ransom, which Mama Eleanor pays, right, to get... Dick back where he will remain King of England, but not actually in England until 1199. When Dick is shot by an arrow because Mr. Storybook hero thinks his shit is so unstinkable and he's so untouchable that he doesn't wear armor. He doesn't do the things that you do. If you're going to go, he has
1: the heart of a lion, Alicia.
0: <laughs> well, the heart of the lion was it's easily pierced, pierced by, by an arrow, arrow. So he's out like he believes his damn hype so much, but arrows are arrows, you fool. So 10 year reign, no kids. Now historians like to banter about Dick one. Oh, he was gay. Medieval men have a different relationship than, I mean, it was not uncommon for men to drink from the same cup and eat from the same plate and share beds to like different time.
1: Yeah, it's because they didn't have a, yes, I agree.
0: For as much as history records actually gay kings that we have previously talked about and are going to talk about, Dick One in gay. He's got some illegitimate kids. He also has a wife. What? Richard the Lionheart was married? I've never heard of a wife. Let me tell you, he's probably never heard of her either from the way that he treats her. Wow. Let me tell you about the queen that no one's ever heard of. Okay. Queen of England, Berengaria. It does not ring a bell. Berengaria has no recorded birthday because she's a girl. Women, yeah. But she's a high-born girl. Her mother is the daughter of the King of Castile. Her father is the ruler of Navarre. Her dad, new name for you here, is Sancho the 6th Haven't had a Sancho yet. No, that's new. Okay. Now, Navarre, her country, gets battered around like a fucking cat toy on the French map for centuries between... Not only the warring counties in France. So when I say warring counties, we have all the counties that make up regions of Navarre and Anjou and Normandy and Flint. Like Mm -hmm. okay, yeah, just the little principalities. Right, Navarre at the time. Is not a big deal at the time of Berengaria's birth. It's not at its apex in power or status because Navarre really is like the cat toy. It just, it gets claimed. It gets reclaimed. It gets shuffled off a thousand times, but it's a nice life for a girl, but her mom dies when she's young. And so it leaves her with all these queenly responsibilities. So by the time Dick one is coming up into England, Navarre has redeemed its reputation a little bit. It's, it is a little bit more needed as a strategic place on the map. Also, Bengaria comes with an enormous dowry. Colossally big. And as you've heard, crusades I was do not say, pay for
1: themselves. If you're going to hop off to the Holy Land with all your nobles.
0: Well, Bengaria looks like a better bride, but there's a problem. Dick I is already engaged. He's already betrothed. He has another bride in place. Her name is Alice. She is the sister of the King of France. This seems problematic, potentially. This is Phil 2, Philip 2. And Philip 2 and Dick 1 have been in negotiations for a hot minute. Who gets what? If I marry her, who gets the land? If we have sons, how does all of her land that she has and my, like, you know, negotiations? Phil, two wants nothing to do with this marriage. It would make you far too powerful. Phil, too, is finally convinced. And then, <laughs> oh, my God, Dick, one, goes through all these, like, hurdles to get permission. Like, it is a fight for Dick to even think about marrying Alice. He has to convince Philip. He has to, con- like, it's a thing. But then Dick starts hearing the skinny. But all this land and money that perhaps an alternate bride hmm. comes with Berengaria.
1: Navar who?
0: Yeah. So she's sent for. Technically, she's not sent for. Eleanor of Aquitaine has a job. And Eleanor of Aquitaine has to go to fetch the girl. So Eleanor of Aquitaine travels like months and months to go fetch her. And then they spent months and months together, Berengaria and Eleanor, on the way back getting to know each other. Because you don't do anything without Mama Eleanor's permission. I guess Eleanor gives it, she gives her approval because the wedding is on. But that causes a whole fallout with Philip II of France. And they are going to fight for a really long time about this. The wedding does happen. It's a spectacle. Hello, new wife. See in about two years because I'm going on crusade. So poor Berengaria gets locked up with Dick's sister, Joanna. In this castle, like, they can't even, in hostile territory, they can't even open the curtain window to see, like, what the weather is outside. This is the most boring life. What puzzle are we going to do again today? Like, they can't go outside. More (laughs) needlepoint? More needlepoint. Like, it's terrible. But this will make Berengaria and Joanna very, very close, right? Because they're holed up together. being held captive together, effectively. That's exactly it. Okay, so <laughs> it's boring, but Dick won no love for his wife. He never sees her. He's cheating across the European continent on his big crusade, which isn't as holy as he makes it out to be. But anyway, <laughs> Berengaria is kind of done. Dick gets captured. She's like, I'm out of here. Mama Eleanor, my mother-in-law is in charge of everything. I'm going to go back to uh, Occitane. Forget this. I'm out. I got other things to spend my time on that aren't this. Is this Berengaria or Eleanor? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Until like 1194. So the Bishop of England pulls Dick back. And he's like, listen, man, everybody's talking about you all the time. You need to get with your wife. You need to have an heir. You need to deny all other women. So... Dick one goes to this whole like, oh, I'm in love with you and brings flowers. Berengaria back and flowers and diamonds and candy. But it's all very short lived because honestly, Navarre is no longer needed. That's how quick Navarre cat toy batted around. That's how quick it changes. And there are no kids. So whose fault is it? Berengaria. Obviously it's hers. She is the woman to blame. Mm -hmm. So Dick the one is going to die in 1199. With the I don't need to wear armor move. Look at my lion heart. And Berengaria is the forgotten queen of England. Nobody remembers her. Nobody bothers to tell her Dick's dead. She finds out from a passing priest. Like she's going to check her mail and there's, you know, Father Brown driving by like, damn shame about your husband. And she's like, what are you talking about? She's not invited to the funeral. I'm free. She participates in nothing state oriented because she doesn't even get the news until Father Brown's like, oh, it's taking flowers to Miss Marple in your village. My husband's what? Yeah. High murder rate there for
1: some reason. (laughs) Mysterious.
0: Oddly enough, she is a English queen that during her time as it's reigning monarch never sets foot. Inside the confines of England. Weird. Weird. So
1: she just lives across the channel.
0: Yeah. I mean, she's. Yeah. but I mean, most of English monarchy is taking place in France. Right. Until. Right. Henry three. Okay. Good Lord. All right. So now King John, who is in charge and he's coming into detail, but I want to wrap up with Berengaria because nobody ever gives her enough credit, nor do we know her name. King John is terrible to her. He's terrible to everybody. But King John is going to take all of her dower lands and her money too. Now, Pope Innocent the third, Pope Innocent the third is going to come back into play in a minute. He's not innocent. Pope Innocent is a dick. I spotted that right away. Don't worry. <laughs> Pope Innocent will try to make some headway with King John into not leaving Bengaria destitute. And so John's like, great, I'll give her back her lands, but I'm going to take all the money from her lands. Like it, it's terrible. This is a move he likes to play. It is not until the reign of Henry III that all of the back debt that she's owed is corrected. She'll live until 1230. Like she's going to live a long time after the death of Richard I. A long and happier life. Well, long and happier, always in debt. There's a little bit, she's, um, Richard as well. They both are like this. They both have a very anti-Semitic reputation because in order to get by, Berengaria is borrowing from Jewish money people, which, I mean, she's kind of terrible in her own right, but she will, before she dies, build a monastic house, but she dies like a month before it's consecrated in 1230. Anyway, Berengaria, the forgotten queen nobody's ever heard of. No power, no kids, no agency, at least until the husband's dead. And then that's still not a lot because you're subject to men batting on your behalf. Now the year is 1199.
1: The new king, is king dead. in town.
0: Yeah, the king is dead. Long live the king. Now we get to King John. Johnny Rodden.
1: John the first. John the nothing
0: has happened after John. That's how terrible a King John is, is there's never been another one. We're going to talk about another king that there's never been another of right after this. but Well, and we
1: did last week, Stephen, the yeah. redheaded guy. Yeah. yeah, you're about to hear about your French King, Louis, mm. who's mm. king of England. Did you know
0: that England had a King Louis? Don't. Only one do of those too. two. Okay, but King John, Johnny Rotten. God, he's, there's only one of them. That's how rotten he is. Okay, everybody take a deep breath. Oh, God. Henry VIII learned it by watching King John. That's all I have to say. There is a role model for Henry VIII. I can't wait to hear how many repetitions that y'all are going to hear in this. John is the last son of Henry II and Eleanor of Aquitaine. Henry II dies. Dick I dies. Logically, the crown should go to John, right? I mean, mm, not exactly. John's terrible. And even when Henry was alive, he wanted no part in John having any kind of power because John is kind of whiny and kind of slimy and kind of greedy and he's petulant and he's ambitious. It is every bit of the worst trait you could ever imagine in a ruler wrapped up into one ruler. Did he have Twitter? <laughs> Henry knows his son. Uh, John's name, like, because you know, like uh, William the Bastard, everybody's got kind of a, a William Rufus. Everybody has a name before they get their king name. John is John Lackland because he lacks land. The only fights Henry gets into Henry II gets into are about John's all John wants is what land do I get dad? What do I get when you die? Which I'm sure makes your ruler feel mm. really secure. Yeah. John lack land. Did you get nothing? You get nothing because you were simp, man. You're terrible. Okay. <sighs> but Henry, the two tries when, Prince John is like 16. He's going to send him over to Ireland to be king of Ireland. Now, Henry II doesn't really own Ireland. He doesn't really have the right to do that. So it's kind of a stick. I'm not going to say it's a great situation for Prince John to go into. Seems tenuous. But Prince John gets there. I'm 16. I'm king of Ireland. You know, Henry II wants to test him out. Let's let's see what you can do, son. Go conquer Ireland for me, son. No, 16-year-old... Teenager John arrives and makes fun of all the Irish nobles because they have beards. Um, Every beard joke, he's pulling their beards. He, yeah, doesn't go great with the Irish nobles and barons. I'm surprised. John is back inside of a year. Wow.
1: Okay. No one wants John to be anywhere near power. I'm surprised he survived that. I feel like there would be reason to... Take a more permanent solution, but. Okay, so Henry's dead. Dick
0: assumes the throne. The same year Richard I descends. John is going to marry. His wife is Isabella of Gloucester. She can trace her line to Henry I, although Isabella and John are second half cousins. Royal interbreeding at its best. They've been married a decade by the time that Dick one bites it. No air in sight. No kids. No issue. Once again, whose fault is it? This time Isabella's. Oh, okay. Yeah. She's the woman to blame. Isabella. Sorry,
1: I thought you were still talking about. Berengaria. Yeah, there you go. Nope. Okay. So, so both of these brothers have no children.
0: Oh, John's going to get kids. Okay. His first wife is not the wife that sticks around. Hold up. Mm -hmm. It's about to get trashy. Okay. Because John is a king. And it's clearly my wife's fault, even though we've been married a decade, that... Yeah. I mean, it's not my fault because I'm a horn dog. Sure. John will sleep with anyone. But Dick dies and John wants to take over. But there's actually another potential claimant. See, Henry II had another son, Jeffrey. And even though Jeffrey's long dead, Jeffrey has a son, Arthur, Duke of Brittany. He's about 15 years old.
1: The Brits do like their Arthurs.
0: The... King of France has blessed Arthur, 15-year-old Arthur, Duke of Brittany, to go be king. I Mm. will support you in this. Let's continue to fight. That's some powerful backing. Yeah, exactly. He's young. But, yes, I can be contention to the king until Prince, now King John, takes Arthur to the river and drowns him. Fucking catfish John, man. Oh, my God. Singing the nerdy nitty gritty dirt band now, but yeah, Catfish John. So this okay, is maybe his uncle. Prisons locks him up, but this is like in a princes in the tower move before Richard the third does it. Prince John does it with Arthur in contention for the English crown.
1: There's evidence that Richard the third did no such thing.
0: No, exactly, but Prince John does. Yeah, like all of a sudden, this Prince Arthur, we don't know where he went. We never heard from him again he's laying at the bottom of a river because Catfish John killed him. Crocodile ate him. (laughs) Anyway, child murder is not a great look. We'll put it that way. But John is now king and has no heirs, which is going to become important in short order. So John's like, "Mm, maybe this decade-long marriage to Isabella, you know what? It's probably not even lawful after all. I love the look you're making on your face. We have the laws of consanguinity and all that. Tut, tut. I would like an annulment, please. Which John will get. But instead of letting, Henry VIII learned it by watching John. Instead of letting Isabella of Gloucester, just go back to Gloucester, be free, maybe get married again, have a happy life away from his petulant, whiny ass face, he locks her up. He imprisons her. No remarriage for you. No freedom. And I keep you locked up.
1: I mean, did her head stay attached to her neck?
0: Yeah, but okay. she, we're, we're not done with Isabella of Gloucester quite yet. Okay, but what to do? There's one wife locked up. I must find a new bride that can fruit children. Now, there's a plan in place. King John has it in the works to marry a princess of Portugal. Right? And this is a pretty good match. Everybody's on board with it.
1: I'll say Portugal kicks ass.
0: Right. But, but, there's also a youth. Good fortified wines? Come on. Portugal's out. There's a young girl. Her name is Isabella of Angoulême. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, when she was eight... She was engaged to and already kind of married, the son of this other French noble. Like, the first ceremony had been completed. All they're waiting for her to do is turn 12 so they can do the consummation part.
1: I have nothing
0: to say here. Okay, but her first marriage combines a lot of land and a lot of power, and she's already married, right? But, but, King John is like... She's almost 12 now. Maybe she's 10. He's 35. Oh, God. Okay. And I'm in negotiations to marry this Portuguese princess, but I am a horn dog and she's going to be 12 soon. And she's described as like Helen of Troy. She's a great beauty or will be a great beauty, you know, when she's out of puberty. And he's not even really divorced from the first Isabella yet. There's no process being followed. It's just his, like, sheer lust and I'm king and I get what I want. And sure enough, a 12-ish-year-old Isabella will wed a 35-year-old John in 1200. It is scandalous. It is rule-breaking, norm-breaking. Bigamy causes a lot of shit to go down. They're still fighting about <laughs> Alice and Richard from a deck like, They're still fighting about Arthur, the Duke of Brittany. They're just pick a reason. England and France are fighting, but they're all on the same side, but they're not. Oh my God. All right. This causes a lot of shit to go down because Isabella was already married. Just pre-con. Like what is wrong with you, John? And the French King is pissed and he's going to take away all of John's lands in France. Isabella's sent back with her father and she is rescued, but I mean rebellions and blah, blah, blah okay, remember Berengaria now, she's been allied with John, even though like, she's trying to get her lands and her money but now she's like, screw that so she switches sides and goes back with Philip the Two of France which is a big deal, and everything's going terrible for John, but it's going terrible for John because of his own actions
1: not to mention the band of merry men in the woods no way, No,
0: it's his own actions. I mean the merry men. Are no, I feel help.
1: like they I feel like they pop up because of his own actions, but okay,
0: after all the terrible things I've already said about John,
1: here is what I think is singularly
0: the trashiest. He is also a cheap bastard, and even though he dotes on his wife, his twelve- year- old wife, he's a cheap bastard. And he doesn't want to put up enough money for her to have her own household. So Catfish John, Johnny Rotten, gets a really good idea. And he is going to send Isabella, new wife, guess where to stay? Locked up with Isabella,
1: his old wife. Oh, shit. hmm Yes. And his sister, I guess. Is his sister still locked up in there? No, that was Joanna and Berengaria. Oh, oh, okay. Different. Okay, different. Okay.
0: So now ex-wife Isabella has some company with 12-year-old new wife Isabella.
1: Have they considered growing their hair very long?
0: <laughs> it's
1: terrible. I'm starting to see where those stories come from.
0: Well, then they start sharing stories. So John's like, shit, I got to get her out of there. So John will send Isabella to one of his nobles' house, but... It's a noble whose wife John is fucking. It's one of his mistresses. King John, there's, there. I want to let you know there's a reason. There's only been one. No John the second. Nope. Okay. So John's sleeping around everywhere and like, he's sleeping with all of his nobles' wives, which his nobles are tending to like less and less as time goes on. Isabella, once she can bear children, does. Five kids, Henry, first son, who's going to be Henry III, three daughters who all marry extremely well. The first is Joanna, who will be Queen of Scotland. The second is Isabella, who will be Holy Holy Roman Empress. Like, her, oh, she has another spare son, Richard, as well. But Isabella the Younger, she's young. She's peddled this man. He's a child predator. So after kids, maybe she sleeps around a little bit too. But all of this is turned against her because now the rumor is she slept with her half-brother. Where have you heard that before? Yeah, this really... Uh, So many parallels. Like, they learned it by watching you. And, okay. Oh, my God. So now Isabel is a Jezebel and a harlot and terrible. But King John is terrible and the war with France continues. And now all the fucking English barons are pissed. John loses this war with France. The English barons are still mad. And who is it to blame? The guys in Sherwood Forest. Isabella the Younger. Oh. Yeah. Still, it's always the woman's fault. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay so this is where shit gets sticky. Because the Pope is like, England, I'm done with you. Prince Prince John, King John, you're, you're terrible. So I'm going to step in and just be in charge of England now. And I'm going to appoint a new bishop. This is Pope Innocent. Pope Innocent the Three who was trying to help Berengaria. But John, King John, doesn't really like this new plan of the Pope stepping in, and he certainly doesn't like the bishop. So Pope Innocent is going to excommunicate John, or anyone that actually talks to John, or looks at John, or assists John, or hands John a glass of water. Excommunication. John's reign is not going great. Jesus. By 1213, even John is, like, wanting to sell out and negotiating with the emir of Muslim countries. Like, I will sell you England. Please just take this off my hands. What kind of price can I get for my country?
1: Want to be a king?
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. Pope is done. And so he puts this Englishman, Langton, in charge of being a bishop. And Langton is like, fuck yeah, dude. This is great because it's an Englishman. And now is a chance to not only shape some laws for the people, but we've had a terrible King Dick one. King John is terrible. This reign has been going on now, shit ass, 15 years. He's quadruple taxing us. Like we're paying for his largesse and extravagance. He's not even morally good. Like, okay. Let's set some laws in place.
1: Drive through Sherwood Forest. (laughs) In your cart, in your carriage.
0: Langton, the Englishman,
1: is like, all right, it's not just
0: the people who need laws, but we need some laws to set in about abuses of power of the monarchy. Welcome to 1215 and the
1: Magna Carta. I recall this from history. Class. That's it, right? The nobles force him to sign this charter, right?
0: Correct. Which is technically like a peace treaty because everybody's still at war. I mean, technically the Magna Carta is we're going to live under these laws and you're going to live under these laws. And let's just call peace because we've been at war now a Mm -hmm. lot of years.
1: Right. So a settlement of mutual restraint. Right. John, not a fan of Magna Carta and neither is the Pope. Pope Innocent, when
0: he gets word of my buddy, Langton, who I set up to do the things I needed you to be my puppet, and you just decide to be an Englishman and make your own laws? Nah, dude, you're excommunicated. Well, I'm... recalled. I'm sorry, Langton got recalled.
1: Okay, yeah, I'm sure that any Mm -hmm. document restraining a sovereign is a threat to every other sovereign. Like, this is not... The Pope cannot tolerate the idea that, like, the College of Cardinals might sit him down and be like, "Actually, you're not allowed to do X, Y, and Z." That
0: well, because the Pope thinks he's the King of England.
1: Yeah, like, oh my God, it's all terrible. The Pope thinks he's God's vassal on earth and the King of everything.
0: All right, Langton out. King John is going to take back over, but now you have a bunch of barons. This All of this period is known as the first baron's war. There is a second baron's war that happens, but now the barons are like, we've had enough. We finally got something implemented with Magna Carta and now that's ripped up and nobody's watching out for us. And hey, you know what? Maybe we need a better king. All right. The barons have an idea and it is to get... Louis, future king of France, son of the current king of France, in to be king of England. Okay. Now, this is, this invitation of a foreign ruler to come be the English king doesn't really seem that odd to people of England then, right? The nobility is all still French speaking. They hold a lot of lands, not only in England, but in France the Norman Conquest, 150 years before. The barons can't get what we want from King John. It is only the next logical move to go back to France to be like, hey, anybody want to be king? And there's Louis, just right there. He's 29. He has significant military experience from the previous French wars. His prowess in battle, he's nicknamed Louis the Lion. Hmm. The only reason Richard wants to be the fucking Lionheart is because Louis is the lion. It's a rebranding. Oh, my God. All right. Compared to King John, Louis looks pretty good. He's got a wife. She's ambitious. Blanche of Castile, who is also the niece of King John. Right? All It's just made in heaven. Yeah. So he's a strong claimant to the throne anyway because he's married to the niece of the king. Sure. And they already have two kids, Philip and Louis. And Oh, that's perfect. Heirs. He oh, my gosh. Heirs. And maybe like, okay, we'll have one inherit England and one inherit France.
1: And Perfect. It, awesome. Wow. Okay. What could be better? Barons got it all figured out, right? Brooke Shields will one day descend the line. <laughs> that's it.
0: So the barons going to head over to France. They're going to get Louis. Hey, man, um, you want to be our king? Let's hop on a boat. And Louis is like, yeah, sounds pretty super cool. Let's go. I'll be your king. But then it's not cool because Louis, as king of fucking England, appointed king of England, is now appointing all of his guys from France, Flanders, and all the barons who are now a little bit more English than and a little less
1: French are like, wait a minute. This is not why we brought you to England, dude. I thought I would retain all of the power I previously had. I did not know you would be bringing your own. Well, no, they want the power back of
0: Magna Carta and more, right? Like this is all, this is the Baron's War.
1: Right, but I mean, he's bringing his principles over. Mm -hmm. So that's the power cell that they thought they would be. Okay, but King John is
0: still alive. King Louis defeats- How are these guys
1: so bad at this? (laughs) King Louis defeats- King John. So King John is on the run. Okay. Like you don't bring a fresh king in while the other one's still hanging out. Like, But there
0: is one. This is why you... Okay. Hold on. Oh, God. This is my juice, man. I love it. These okay. barons
1: don't deserve the Magna Carta.
0: Okay. So King John is on the run. And King John is eventually going to be done in by a bunch of fucking monks. Oh, brothers. Wait. Okay. So he's fleeing. And he stops at this monastery to rest. And then all these brothers are like... Hey, King John, we've been uh, working on this uh, new new brew, this oh, uh, no. new beer. You want to taste it? And King John does, and he gets a fever and dysentery, and then
1: death. Okay, on behalf of homebrewers everywhere, I would like to note that... Um, <laughs> Those monks poisoned him on purpose. That is 100%. Brewing does a miraculous job at cleaning whatever pathogens may be growing yeah. in whatever no, world. Death by beer. 1216. De- death by poisoning. Death by poisoning via beer. Sure. 1216.
0: King John out. Well, monkshood.
1: she's brewing up some monkshood. You want to try oh, this? What
0: else? It's fine. It's
1: good. It's good for you. All right,
0: so King John is dead. God bless. <laughs> king John is dead. But All right, now so we have King, king Louis, Louis, the French English king, and the barons are like, what the fuck? What have we done? This is terrible. Barons, we need a new plan. Oh my God. Hmm.
1: Think, think, think. I think that their thinking is part of the problem. They get an idea. Do they?
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So, guys, hear me out. Hear me out, everybody. I know it's a little weird. We've never had a child king before. (laughs) But what if we set up Henry, the nine-year-old son of King John, to be king? And maybe just in charge of him, we put a protector. It's a regent. A regent. We put a protector, a regent in charge, and then we just take control over shit.
1: What happens to Louis? The military leader. Louis is told, hey, man, we're going to let you go, but we
0: need you to go back and say you were never king of England. You are absolved from our records. Uh, What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You're not allowed to claim it. You're not allowed to say you ever were king of England. This was all just a really bad one night stand. I need you to get your clothes on and I need you to slink back to France and pretend like it all never happened.
1: Terrible John was actually king the whole time until the monks <laughs> tried their new beer on him. No, they had
0: to unanoint. Like he, okay, so King Lou is never anointed, he was appointed, which is why he technically doesn't count. Same with fucking Steve, same with Stephen. He was appointed, not anointed. Okay. It's this whole scurrilous sort of fine line. But yeah, Louis, get your clothes. I need you to get out through the window, go back to France. Please don't bother us anymore. Now, Louis is going to bother them plenty because he's going to be king of France, but... So you're saying he, he didn't just forgive and forget? No, Louis, Louis out. But the... This is where the shift happens. So 1216, this is where the shift happens in England, where the French now are perceived as foreigners. This is sort of England claiming into, for the first time, sort of a national, um, the French are not us. We're different than the French. They are foreigners. It, it is now cementing into some kind of
1: something. All right. Well, I imagine on the ground too, because it's not like there was a unified England prior to um, the Norman Conquest. Like it was still tons of separate, sort of like identifiable community. I mean, we would probably map it to like Native American tribes. Mm -hmm. So probably over the ensuing century and a half, or whatever, like all of all of those. Uh, distinctions have been sort of gradually ironed out. People have been brought into power. People, right? Like that's kind of what you do with your nobility. Well, this is what Henry the Three is going to do. Like he is
0: going to sort of try to cohesively pull together. Like Magna mm-hmm. Carta Like I mean, he's nine, so he's not going to do it anytime yeah, soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. King Henry. Just looking ahead, Henry III has the fourth longest reign of any British monarch so far. Okay. He has the longest reign of any medieval king. Not that it was not without controversy, but that's next week's story.
1: Sure. But plenty of time, plenty of decades to play power politics in the different parts of England where oh, you need and he to. He does. Yeah.
0: So now we have a nine year old Henry, King of England, Louis booted back to France, which is where we'll start in the next grab your hankies with Henry the third. And then the Eddie's are coming. So that's kind of fun. I don't know if you want to follow up though on second Isabella, Isabella, wife number two of Angoulême.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Now Isabella is a widow. She's a young widow. Her nine year old son, Henry is sent to London to be king There is a regency council to guide him. It's not her. And she's in her twenties and she's unpopular. She's not really interested in government. And, you know, she's going to go back to Angoulême. She wants her dower lands. They're like, no, we're not going to do that. Why don't you come back to England? And she's like, no, man, not going to do that. I think I'm going to get married in a scandal. This this cements her scandalous reputation. This could be really confusing, so I don't I don't want it to confuse you, but she's going to marry again to the most inappropriate person she could marry anywhere. So remember when Isabella was 12. She had that first we're almost married, we're just waiting for me to get legal. Isabella also has a daughter, Joanna who will go on to be queen of Scotland. But Joanna, before she's queen of Scotland, is already betrothed. She is betrothed to Hugh the X, who is the son of the man that Isabella was originally engaged to when she was eight. Okay? hmm Okay. Bygones? Oh, no. Oh, no, because Isabella of Angoulême is going to snatch her baby daughter Joanna's fiancé out from her and Isabella's going to marry Hugh the Tenth instead. She steals her daughter's fiancé. We're not at the Plantagenets yet, are we? We're in the Plantagenets, Are we Plantagenet
1: family values, babe?
0: Yeah. So the son of the man that her daughter is betrothed to Isabella's like, nah, I'm going to go ahead and marry him. This is, technically, according to the church, this is incest. Because you were already married to this guy's father back in, like, canon law. We can't help it that King John is a fuck-up and decided to break all the rules. Canon law is still canon law. Tricky. Isabella and Hugh 10 will ally a lot of money and a lot of power. They go on to have like another 13 kids. Uh, good Lord. They're close in age. They're equal in wealth and status. It's fine. But even Isabella at this time, because England's pissed. They're like, what? And she's like, oh, I'm doing it for England. I'm, I'm sacking Look, at my daughter was just too young to marry this guy. and I'm doing it for you. And they're mad. They absolutely take her dower lands. She's got a little bit more agency being married to Hugh, but uh good Lord, Isabella still sort of thinks she's queen, even though she's not. She ends up standing at an event. This is, God, like 1241, and uh, it's unacceptable to her. She's trying to get her youngest son to be the one that takes over with the line, but that doesn't work. Anyway, Isabella of Angoulême. <laughs> Still, King John stole her, and then she stole her kid's fiance. Okay. Anyway, she dies in 1242. Um, let's see. She will pass away kind of in in obscurity. Uh, she dies in the same abbey as Eleanor of Aquitaine, her mother in law did. This is long into the reign. Of Henry the Third, who we will be talking about next time, on Grab Your Hankies. I just Richard and John are just so trashy. No,
1: that seems like it was a critical part of the story. I don't think it makes things skip those two and
0: well and then I just got into it and I'm like, ah, let's oh brother, let's just give them their own episode. Sounds good. Anyway, back next time with Hank Three and however many Eddies are coming at the time. Because we go Hank 3, then Eddie 1, 83. I was going to say there were mm-hmm. three. Yeah. And then we get into the Henry dad of Henry 4, 5, and 6. Oh,
1: gosh, y'all.
0: Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Y'all are the best. Have an amazing day. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Keep your hands clean. Oh, keep your hearts trashy. And for real, if you want the documentary of this, please check out the 1970s film by Disney, Robin Hood. It's real history. Robin Hood and Little John walking through the forest. God, I love that movie. All right, darlings. Have a wonderful week. Catch you on the flip. Bye. Keep it trashy. Bye. Bye. <laughs> and thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia. With a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O.
1: Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's Store on Instagram.